Hey, folks, quick plug before we start the show. You can get Darren's book in advance at the Van Halen News Store, and the Paltrowcast is on Byron Allen's Local Now. So make sure you guys get on it. Here's the episode. I heard you miss me. I'm back. Eric Stangman <laughs> from Mixtapes here. And the intro fits perfectly what me and my guests are going to be talking about today on the show. He's got a brand new book coming out titled DLR Book, How David Roth Changed the World. He's been a guest before. Good friend. Glad to have him on the show. Glad to have him back, Mr. Darren Paltrowitz. How are you doing today, sir? Eric, pleasure to be speaking with you. I stand on record when I say a nicest Jets fan on the planet. And... Top three nicest DLR cast listeners. So, you know, you you should have some trophies in the near future. I love it. I love it because the Jets aren't going to have any trophies in the near future. So mm. I'll, I'll take it. Um, you know I'm a huge Dave era Van Halen solo career fan. So yeah. tell me something that I wouldn't know that's in your book. Something that you wouldn't know that's in the book. Yeah. So – Dave Jellison was one of my insiders on this. And he worked with Van Halen, I think starting in 82, he was on the Diver Down tour. And he continued with Dave through Eat Him and Smile. He was there for everything. And he helped design parts of the Skyscraper tour, but he wasn't on it. So long story short, to get the total history of David Lee Roth, you can't just go to one person because so many people have come in and out of the picture. To write this book, you kind of have to learn, okay, you have a question for something that happened in 93, go to this guy. You have a thing in 82, go to this guy. But there's other artists like ZZ Top where some of the people were in the picture for 40 plus years. And you go, what happened on the 83 tour? And then you can ask that person, what happened on the 96 tour? Not in Dave land. (laughs) So you had to do like, so did you map out like a timeline and then figure out like, okay, I'm going to talk to these people and try to like, almost like piece together detective work, hint, hint. Yes. My background as a private investigator did help with all this stuff, but the reality is I probably did not speak to two thirds of the people that I want to speak with. Uh, Dave has a lot of people under NDAs. Some of the people have passed on. In fact, one of the pe- one or two of the people I interviewed for the book have passed since I've written it. Oh, wow. We've lost a lot of people because in the last few years, we've lost Eddie Van Halen and Noel Monk, who managed Van Halen early on. Brett Tuggle, who wrote Just Like Paradise, who played with Dave for a long time on and off. He had a few stints. So you're up against NDAs, people dying, people who parted ways with him uh, in a bad way and go, oh, I'll never talk to him again. Um, to to repeat something, if if you hear me on the, the Dave and Dave Unchained podcast, I said this, but Terry Kilgore first said, I'll speak to you. Yeah, man. Then he decided he was mad at me because Greg Renoff didn't send him a book. What? I have no <laughs> idea. It's just Terry Kilgore goes, you know, all oh, you bastards and and. Greg Renoff won't send me a copy of the book that he interviewed me for. And I have no idea what that has to do with me. You, right. We we all love Greg Renoff. He's the official, unofficial Van Halen historian. But there's certain people who know where the bodies are buried and won't talk to you. And other people who are happily talk to you. So I'm sure if I had another six months and my publisher let me write another thirty to 50,000 words, we could get even more stuff for the book. I believe it. And and by the way, Greg is a, a another nice guy, Jet fan too. Great guy. Great guy, Jet fan. 
Uh, he likes to hide that he's an East Coaster because yes. he's the Elsa legend. But yeah, yeah, yeah. East Coaster. Yeah, we grew up probably, I don't know, 20 minutes away from each other in New Jersey. Yeah. Saw yeah. a lot of the same shows at the Meadowlands. Yeah, totally. Yeah, Jersey people don't gravitate towards Jersey people until they leave Jersey. Then they yeah. become the Jersey person. Yeah, because you see somebody out and you're like, I'm from Jersey. I'm from Jersey too. And then it's like. You're best but then in Jersey, you're all infighting. Yes. Yeah. That's <laughs> so true, man. I, I'm married to a New Jersey person who's very proud of being from Jersey. So uh, I, I, I feel we all are, to be honest. It's kind of like that thing where you go, that's not racist. I'm married to a blank. Yeah. I, I'm one eighth Cherokee. Therefore, I can make Cherokee jokes. It's kind of like that with Jersey people. Oh, Jer- it's so funny, man. It's like it's like we're like the it's like we're it's like we're the little brother to New York City, but we're proud of it. And we make better pizza, by the way. Everybody talks about New York pizza. Jersey yeah. pizza is better pizza. You can say the same thing about where I'm from, Long Island. I don't know if the pizza's better. The pizza's decent here, but Long Island people are the stepchild to Manhattan. Yeah. But the reality is once Long Island people make money, they tend to move to New York City or the Jersey suburbs. Once the Manhattan people make money, they move to Long Island. It's this weird exchange program. That is funny. That is funny. But I could see that too because I remember growing up in New Jersey and like Jersey City and Newark and, and yeah. Hoboken were all just slums. And then <laughs> everybody started moving there. All the hipsters gentrified it. And now it's like the rich, hip place to live. You don't live in the city. Yeah. There, you know what I mean? Uh, uh, the wife and I, back when we were dating, used to live in Hoboken. She was there for a long, long time. And with Hoboken, all these culturally significant things happen there. The city's never fully embraced it. So, for example, the city is still all, hey, Sinatra was here. Sinatra right. was here. <laughs> Sinatra hated Hoboken. Sinatra came back, I think, three times after he was famous. Something wow. like that. He had wow. bread delivered, supposedly, from this one bakery. But Hoboken was not all up and going, hey, Artie Lang is here. Hey, Kate Hudson has a store here. Hey, Lenny Kravitz made an album or two here. Hey, you know, there's this amazing world-class recording studio in Hoboken. And I would bet you nine out of 10 people in Hoboken don't know it's there. That's crazy. Beyonce did stuff there, Motorhead, Cindy Lauper. And it's it's next to a shop ride or something. So it's just like totally <laughs> like you don't even know it's there. It's like that famous New York one where it's just like in a building you wouldn't even expect it to be in where Lennon recorded uh... – was that the record plant you're talking about? Uh, I don't know. Maybe. It was the if one. So, it was the they're one now condos. Was, it's now <laughs> condos. See, there you go. Everything's condos and apartments, right? Oh, my God. Um, and I, I think, and, and this will be the first of many interruptions. I think yeah. the studio you're talking about is where Dave cut your filthy little mouth. I could oh. be wrong about that. Now, how hard was it for, now, is the book more, because I got I got my copy coming. I'm excited. Um I'm sorry about that. I'll send you the digital PDF. After oh, no, don't even worry about it. I, I, yeah. I ordered the Kindle because like I'm like a Kindle guy for some reason. I have the Kindle on my phone, and if I have it on my phone, you know how it is nowadays, I'll yeah. read it. So like you know the Van Halen book, you know Greg's books, all on the Kindle. Um, So is it his whole career, or do you lean heavily towards the solo era stuff? While I lean heavily towards post-85, I okay. do cover pre-Van Halen early Van Halen, end of Van Halen. It's all in there up through a little 2022, 2023 stuff I was able to sneak in there. It's a tricky thing with books where 
there's such a long lead time from your manuscript and the final revisions to it actually coming out. Same thing with movies. Yet, if you made an album today, arguably you could have it up the same day. Oh, it's insane just the, how it is nowadays. I mean, before it, yeah. not so much. But yeah, nowadays it's insane. You um, Was there a certain specific time period? Because I know me and you have talked about this. Disclaimer, mm-hmm. you know, we're friends and we definitely email back and forth to each other. Um, was there a certain time period you were really interested in learning more about? Because I know when we've talked, it's like, 91 to 95 just seems like this gray area like mm-hmm. not a lot of information was there was there a specific part of the timeline that you were really interested in trying to fill the gaps in yeah there there's actually a few timelines so i love the sky skyscraper era because i think that regardless of whether or not you love the album i think that is dave firing on all cylinders intellectually creatively making good choices, uh, being at the peak of his global popularity, because that's the last solo tour where he really went everywhere. Right. Um, he did He did on the 94 tour, like, go to England, but I believe he went to Japan as well, but I don't think he went to Australia. Okay. And Van Halen did one tour of, Van, uh, of Australia with Dave in tow, but Skyscraper was the last I'm a global superstar, Dave, peak mode, celebrity. Again, great choices. So I want to find out as much as I can about that, but it seems like the only good footage we have from that era is that Japanese TV special. Yep. And um, and then there's one, too. There's, I've seen, I've seen a shot. Um, I don't remember where it's from, but there's a there's a there's a full show video wise out from that tour from from the crowd shot. I, I yes, assume. yes, not not pro angle. No, no. I think that's Toronto that we see the '88 tour, and every now and then, um, I don't. Is this video? Because I'll demonstrate what it is. Yeah, it's video. Okay, so you'll be watching it, and it's great, and then all of a sudden it goes like that. Yep, yep. Because they think that an usher is going to walk by yep, them and escape yep. their camcorder. <laughs> yep, totally, totally. And so then that swerves the audio, so you can't really turn it into a comprehensive bootleg. Right. And I love that, era, and of course I love Eat em and Smile. And people who listen to the DLR cast will know that I'm obsessed with that 99 Finland concert. Yes. From no. that... Dude, still on, on YouTube. From I MTV. mean, the, the wardrobe's questionable, but dude, he's on fire, and so is the band. And so I like Dave when he's finally in. Uh, hey, I'm in my 40s. <laughs> I like that because he's still fantastic vocally. And the early 2000s, I still love the first Van Halen reunion, 07, 08. Dave is still great. Completely so great. Kind of like skyscraper. Love it. Um, right before rejoining Van Halen, love it. Let me ask you a question. I thought about this when I was thinking about questions to ask you, and then I realized we're friends. I'm not going to ask you. I'm not going to write questions on to ask. I'm just going to you know, fly by the seat of my pants. Do you think if Dave did the rock-type tunes off a little ain't enough and did more of them and released that after Eat Him and Smile – and then put Skyscraper out like a year later, do you think it would have been a prolonging of his career more? 
Hmm. That because- is a complex question. And the reason I'll go with that is I think that the downfall of Dave's career, and keep in mind, his, quote, failure is still bigger than most people's successes. You have to put that into quote. perspective. He That's was at quote. such a high level that it's like, oh, you only sold a million copies? Like, how many people sell a million copies of anything? Right, right. So putting that aside, I think that the downfall was him and Pete Angelus parting ways. And in general, him no longer having that partner in crime, whether it's Angelus, Eddie Van Halen, Steve Vai. The second that it becomes the Dave show and you don't have that steady person who's editing the ideas, that's what the problem is. It's not because a little late enough was a hit but not by just like paradise kind of metrics. Correct. And it's a totally different thing. He didn't have the full band. If you say to the average day fan, Hey, who was in his band circa a little ain't enough. 50% of the people might be able to say Jason Becker. The reality is he didn't play live. So you go, so who was in his band and they'll guess and they'll go, Oh, there was a bisonette, right? (laughs) But if you talk to most Dave fans and you go eat them and smile, oh, Bissonette, <laughs> Sheehan, bye, love that band, best backing band I've ever heard. And then if you go Skyscraper, they'll go, um, I, th- I think Bissonette, Sheehan, she- was Sheehan in it? <laughs> and, and then a little late enough, you go, um, hmm, so Joe Holmes, right, who's great. Desi Rex, most people don't really realize, and I think he got sacked after the European leg. Uh, Basis was no longer even Matt Bissonette because he got sacked after after recording, I believe. Okay. So, in other words, it became the Dave show, and I really think Dave needs a foil for us to love it. Otherwise, it is too much Dave. I, I, you know, what's funny is it. it, I liked your answer a lot when I was a kid. Um, so Skyscraper came out when I was 13. Okay. And um, I liked it. Um, I thought it was cool. I just started playing guitar then too. And I thought it was cool because I thought it was kind of groundbreaking with some of the stuff he was doing. But I felt like a lot of the rock people couldn't wrap their head around it. You yeah. know what I mean? And I wonder if he did another record like an Eden, like a like an Eden Smile Part 2, I think was what most rock people wanted. And when they, it's kind of like what Van Halen did too. So they come out with 5150, and then they come out with OU812, and people are like, what are you guys doing? You know what I mean? And I think both mm-hmm. bands try to double, like not double down, but like kind of steer the ship in the right direction again. So like For Unlawful Carnal Knowledge is more rock. Same thing with A Little A Enough. And I always wondered if those two were flip-flop, would the, the hardcore Dave fans be like, hey, you know what? Like I want to give this Skyscraper you know, album more of a chance because I got my Eat em and Smile 2.0. You know what I mean? I totally know what you mean. I think that there's so many factors based on luck and how much your label is behind you, how good your manager is with wrangling the label, how much leverage you have in terms of is there a renegotiation or is this after a renegotiation with your label deal? There's so many factors like that. And in terms of a little ain't enough, I still don't think that we know the full story of what went on with that. That, for example, the book talks about how Dave wanted to call the album Cutting Out. Hmm. And he had different artwork that got banned. And then if we believe what he says, then the Little Ain't Enough video got banned too. 
Right. And you have to wonder, somebody who's really calculated like Dave, was he trying to get banned? Is it made up that it was banned? Or is it the kind of old trick where you turn in the movie that you never know will get approved, that you know will never get approved, that gets the NC-17, then you cut out two or three things just to go, see, we compromised our rating. That's an old trick as well. So I don't know what to believe. Now, the Little Ain't Enough video, which is amazing, does have little people in blackface. (laughs) It it didn't uh, age well. (laughs) Yeah, I I don't know how well it aged. It's an expensive video. It's well made. But the little people in blackface doing like that Samoan chant kind of thing or the African tribal chant. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, you know it's it's funny too because I like that record, and I feel like I feel I feel like I wonder what it would have. See, you have too many. The problem is you got too many ships sailing by at that time period because that was ninety one, mm-hmm. and Becker gets sick. If Becker doesn't get sick, how much is Becker like? You know, Steve Vai, you know, Eddie Van Halen, Steve Vai, Becker is easy that name. I think he was. He was charismatic. He had that vibe to him. But you have Nirvana and Grunge knocking on the door. Not not yet, but like by the time right. do you see what I'm saying? Like I, I I just wonder there's so much here's another one I think about. And and Angelus being fired or parting ways with Dave on yep. top of it. And Dave also being older, and I say yep. old by MTV standards, because MTV likes its artists to be around a certain age to be more relatable. Like when you're 15 years old and you see somebody that's 30, you're like, that dude is old. Yeah. And then when you're 30, you're like, that's not old at all. I have a lot right. of ahead of me. <laughs> yep. But Dave in 91 wasn't 28 years old anymore. So he's not part of the youth revolution. I mean, we, we've talked a little bit about WWF that, you know, Hulk Hogan was the right age when he was on top. But at a certain point, you have eight-year-olds go, that guy is old. I want new blood. You want the ultimate warrior. Yeah, exactly. You want the ultimate warrior, you know. even if you can't wrestle on any level. <laughs> oh, my God. Don't even start. <laughs> what um, do, you think, do you think stand-up was a bad choice for a second single? I think the video, music video is super dated. The women are beautiful in that music video dave's dancing is a little cringe yeah uh, a lot of the visuals are just very outdated i like the song i don't think it, it was the right single and uh you're you're gonna hear an interesting theory if if you dig into the dave and dave Unchained thing one of the daves has this theory that dave picked the worst second single on every single album <laughs> oh okay so what was the second single? No, second single was going crazy on Eat Him a Smile, wasn't it? You are correct about that. But, okay, if you go on A Little Ain't Enough, wasn't the second single Sensible Shoes? Yes. On Your Filthy Little Mouth, second single was Nightlife. Okay. The so... <laughs> DLR band album, I don't think there was a second single. I think he just did Slam Dunk, No Music Video, Album Dead. Yeah, uh, yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, it's kind of funny, man. It's like I think about Maiden. It's like the Maiden thing where Maiden always releases the worst song first as their single, and then you can never judge the Maiden single by the album because the album is always yeah. better than the single. 
That's yeah. an interesting concept that the second date, you know, I'm sure you had that a lot when you wrote the book, like, you know, thinking about how, how much he sabotaged his career by not having that, that secondary voice in his head being like, Hey man, I don't think it's such a great idea or Hey man, you know? Yeah. And, and I think that I rag on Dave, uh, Dave Lee Roth, because there's a lot of Dave's being thrown around right sure. now. David Lee Roth, I rag on him more because I think he's such a smart, talented, motivated person. Therefore, wouldn't he be able to go, hmm, this is a half-baked idea. Maybe get a second opinion. You would think that Eddie Anderson could go, I don't know, Dave, that's that's a bad idea. Because Eddie Anderson was still around another six, seven years after he parted ways with with his buddy there, with his co-manager buddy. Okay. So after him, um, there was another guy, and then there was Matt Sensio, who everyone really thought highly of. And he parted ways with Dave somewhere around the Van Halen regrouping. But after Angelus, all the managers were more kind of like assistants rather than real managers. If Dave had an Irving Azoff, I don't think his career would have ever dipped. That's a great point. Is Matt the guy that you interviewed that was just super cool? Like, I had, wish. Had, had, he wasn't. No, who's the guy you interviewed? I, I, I wish I got to speak to him. I, Matt is friends with one of our regular DLR cast listeners, Gary Marino, who's a great comic in the Boston yeah, area. Yeah, and I think Matt is just happy to have moved on from music. He made some okay. money, has other businesses. And he's very quietly in Massachusetts. Okay, who was the guy you guys interviewed that was right around the time of the first Van Halen, like, or not the first, because there's been a couple, but when they actually put the band back together, where he was like, uh, I forgot how we got involved with him, but he played in a band, and like Dave, like, like said something to him when he was at the at the press conference. Like hey, blah blah blah. Like and, and he did the he did the impersonation of him. You Are you talking about Mitch Schneider, the publicist who's around from ninety one to 03? I don't think so. He was more like just a. It almost felt like it was like a runner, and he just got to kind of hang out with Dave, and it was around that time period. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll have to go back and. and was it and, Dave Jealous? I don't think I put that on the podcast. I think we kept it uh, exclusive to the book and maybe an article, but. Uh, Long story short, I think that there comes a point where Dave goes, I want your idea, but he doesn't necessarily want your idea. And if you give him too much feedback, that's how you get canned. That's how you get canned. So it's a very difficult dynamic of he wants individuals who are smart and motivated, but not too smart and too motivated, or else you wind up like Billy Sheehan, <laughs> where where you're cut, even though you're this virtuoso, but you're cut out of the picture. Well, now, didn't Sheehan quit, though, because he was pissed with the mix of of Skyscraper? Different things have come out over time. Okay, I think everything worked out the way it was supposed to, but I don't think it's any coincidence that, okay, Sheehan's gone. Okay, Vi's gone. Yeah. That, that kind of a thing. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. How much um, – so did you interview a lot of people for the book? Over 100. Over a hundred, and and over the course of is it like some older interviews, you know? Because I mean, I know you interviewed Dave, and what was that? Oh three, oh three, yes, yeah. So um, that's older one. I think other than Dave, all these interviews were within the last two to three 
years. Oh, great, great. So when you're doing this stuff and you're interviewing these people, how 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 weird is it to interview the people, but also you're so in depth with his career? Like like when you were writing stuff out, balancing it out, how much was it like your memory of Dave's stuff compared to what people were telling you? One person, I don't want to say what their name is. Okay. I included some of their interview in the book, but there's no way that the thing that he was talking about happened. But you have to go, oh, oh, cool. That's, the, oh, man, that's awesome. Fantastic. And I've tried to research, and this guy did not tour with Dave. He goes, oh, yeah, we toured with this, this, this. And I'm looking, I'm going, there's no TV appearances that I could find. There was no special guest on these dates. Dude, that's this, wild. It didn't dude. happen. He's just somehow compounded other gigs with studio sessions. Wow, that's wild. Um, what's the biggest thing that you learned while putting together the book that you didn't know? That Dave had so many projects that he conceptualized and didn't finish. I guess that's secondary. I should say this instead. Dave doesn't publicly complain very much. So if you look at all the dirt that Sammy has thrown towards Dave over the Sam and Dave tour, and you're like, yeah, all the time in, in his book on the Howard Stern show and the responses on social media. And you go, so when did Dave ever complain about Sammy? Okay, in his book a little bit. Yeah. Dave has weirdly taken the high road on a lot of things, a lot of things. But then again, he also never apologized for canceling his Vegas residency. <laughs> yeah, I don't think you uh, – yeah, that that's a hard one to get over because I know you had tickets for that. What? Um... Yeah, you, you think about it. I'm sorry to cut you off no, here. Go but. For it. You think about all the people who flew out to Vegas and booked hotels and booked vacations and booked trips. And he's just like, okay, we got rained out. And you go, so, so will you make it up to us? Will you say, hey, thank you to all of you who came out. I'll see you soon. Nothing. And one or two people who worked with him in the past, they went, I would never forgive an artist who did that. That is horrible PR strategy. And these are professional people in the industry. And they went, we have no idea who's advising him about things like that. And that was the end too, right? Like he hasn't really publicly performed other than like just those corporate gig type of things, right? Like that was it, right? I have a feeling we don't know every corporate gig he's done. I, there's three of them that I know about. There was the two in Vegas and the birthday party in Mexico, which I think I briefly mentioned in the book. I don't think we're supposed to know about that one based on one interview I did where the person wouldn't confirm nor deny that they oh, saw Dave Lee Roth live. <laughs> I know every attendee of this birthday party had to sign an NDA, which is incredible. Wow. Imagine having a birthday party that, Isn't that nobody wild? could say they went to. <laughs> It's just wild to me, man. When you think about those things, it's like you're, I mean, how old is Dave? I think he's 69. Could you imagine being like 69, 68 years old and being like, hey, everybody's got to sign an NDA that you weren't here. Like I didn't play it. That's like wild. Uh, well, I think the NDA came from the party planner. But even so, uh, Dave has a lot of NDAs around him. And, uh, you know, a really funny thing without naming names there's this guy who's one of my Dave whisperers for a certain era. And 
he's not under an NDA, even though he worked with Dave for over 10 years on different things. And his wife, who is Dave's assistant, is under an NDA. Weird. Yeah. <laughs> so you never know who's under the NDAs and, and who is. And I personally think it's in bad form to keep people under NDAs because, like, what are you trying to hide if you're not this monster? <sighs> yeah, right. I mean, but the thing with Dave, though, that I think is interesting. Yeah. We don't know much about his personal life, if you really think about it. I, I do. But, <laughs> but as but a result because. of this book, you know, I went from being um, nobody will talk to me to after a while, they went, oh, well, that person will talk to you. OK, we'll also talk to you. And, you know, I got without naming names because this person is under an NDA. Sure. Somebody who has worked with Dave, like sent me a thing that like laughed at Dave from that Australian press conference from like 2012 or <laughs> they just sent a bad thing. And another person sent me a photo of Dave eating a salad recently. <laughs> well, you know what the best part is you can protect all these people because everybody's got NDAs. <laughs> I don't know about that. I don't know about the Sunshine Act and all that kind of thing. But uh, <laughs> that was a thing that you learn in journalism school. But long story short, you know, we we don't want to know everything because we think of him as Diamond Dave, this larger than life guy. So sure. if you find out that he's, you know, doing cardio and and uh, <laughs> ordering from McDonald's, he's suddenly less interesting. And, and, and nowadays it's kind of funny because social media can do that, right? You know, it's like it peels back the mystery. Like when I was a kid, you get your circus magazine. And mm -hmm. I'm like that was the extent of it, and then maybe like an MTV video. Like you didn't know much. Like and and you could go see the concert if you could, and that was it. It was, it was like this mystique. Like a lot of those '70s bands had that mystique. Sabbath, Zeppelin, you know, Kiss. You know, it's like, and then you know nowadays things get changed. The 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 onion gets peeled back. The layers get peeled back more. Um, did you get any good stuff from? And I'm going to ask this in a weird way because I have a feeling it happened more than once just from the stuff I've been hearing lately. Did yeah. you get any good info about the failed reunions? And I don't mean 96, like the 2000, the 2000 like yeah. were, there, were there other ones too? Because I heard a wacky story and I don't remember if it was your pod or it was Dave and Dave or somebody else where um, uh, Dave showed up when Sammy – was that the studio? I didn't. I've never heard of that part. And the, like showed course. up and was like, what's up, man? And like showed up in his car, like his car. I'll have, to, I'll have to remember what it was. I'll send it to you later. But like, yeah, I'm always curious because they started playing and it was Wolf. It was Wolf, Ed and Al. Right. And they were just yeah. jamming. Um, have any of those 2000 songs ever like materialized like if ever found their way on to youtube or anything like that while they have not found their way on youtube an interesting thing that you could find and hopefully i'm not jinxing and getting something removed by telling it right. is you know uh ralph uh from steel panther i yeah, mean yeah, yeah. michael michael star star yeah his yeah. name's not ralph yeah uh, don't in la guns <laughs> uh there is demos of him in the early 2000s and atomic punks recording unreleased van halen songs i think Bullethead is one of them interesting so i think people have this but won't tell you that they have them and 
you know, one of the people I've gotten to know in the course of all this is Jeff Hausman from Van Halen News Desk. Him and Eric Senich, so supportive, great people, yeah. etc. So thought that I was entirely full of crap with all my research until I said one facet of those early 2000s demos, which is that they cut off midway. They're not completed songs. Because there was all these people who were reaching out to him going, yeah, I heard the demos. They're great. And Jeff's test to them was, tell me one thing that's different about them. And oh. he was looking for that password of, they cut off midway. Yeah. The only way I knew that was through Frank Meyer from Streetwalking Cheetahs and director, Breckenmeyer's brother. Frank knows everything from a certain era of Dave. And Frank told me that story because Matt Sensio played him those demos when Frank was going to work on the second book with Dave, which didn't happen. But if Matt was willing to play Frank Meyer those, that means that's not the only person who has or heard those demos. Also, like, how many of those demos is being passed around by Ed? Because I know, like, you know, Ed and Nuno were friends. Ed and Nuno were friends. Ed and Steve Brown were friends. All the people who were friends with Maddie Bruck by proxy would have that because the I think Maddie Bruck was from Jersey. There, there is definitely Jersey ties to Van Halen. And as we were talking about, all the Jersey people yeah. know each other once they leave Jersey. Right, right, right. Yeah, because Steve oh. Brown, trickster, right? Steve Brown from Trickster, Def Leppard, Dennis yep. DeYoung, uh, currently uh, working on Freely this Freely album. Yeah. Did you uh, did you see that video where he got up, jumped on stage, and played Eddie Van Halen's guitar? Yes. Wasn't that cool? <laughs> so I asked Steve about that, and oh, cool. he said part of the reason he did that was he knew the he knew the names and the looks of the different crew members. So he knew, okay, if this guy is closer to Ed, he'll pummel me. If it's this guy, he won't pummel me. Oh, that's hysterical. Yeah, because they weren't signed yet, right? Correct. They were around the corner from getting signed. Trickster got signed really young. Trickster, Trickster got signed when I was in high school. Trickster I, I got signed, I think, 88? I think even before that, Trickster got signed when they were in high school, I believe. Yes, they were. They were in high school. Yeah. For sure. And I don't think it was their first band. I think it was their second band, but still really, really young. And the MTV single happened when they were young. I think there was an ill-fated first record deal before the one that we all knew. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, because they were like 15, 16, I think. I'm... A little older, but except for PJ. I believe PJ was the 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 youngest, and their nickname for him might have been perverted juvenile or something. Oh, <laughs> they said that on a podcast. I did not so make that So East Coast. So East Coast. That's P- so PJ's a nice guy, and he's also playing in Fozzie these days. Really? Yeah. It's funny how many of those band members, like, uh, who's the dude? Is the bass player from Firehouse playing in Striper? I think he's been playing in Striper, yeah. It's like all these, like, weird, you know, it's like, all right, who's left? Who's still playing? We need a bass player. You know what I mean? Yeah, Jeff Pilsen's in every band or producing every band. Oh, my God. Tracy Guns is. (laughs) Yep. Another great guy. Another great guy. Um, When you talk to people, let's say when you talk to, like, famous guitar players did they gravitate more towards the van halen era of dave or or did they want to talk about the uh want to talk about the solo dave stuff 
Uh, it goes both ways. I think it's more they want to talk about the Dave era, but then odds are that they met Sammy, had a really good time with Sammy, so then they feel bad about talking badly about Van Hagar kind of stuff. Makes sense. Uh, speaking about Van Hagar, we, I mean, we have to talk about this. What are your thoughts about the tour thing that's trying to come together, that's going to come together? What, what are your thoughts on that? That Sammy had no uh, expectation ever that Dave was going to come along for it, let alone respond to it. Because Dave does not, we were talking about before, he takes the high road. Yeah. There's not a lot of him slagging people over the last 15 years. He used to be, you know, slagging all of his competitors in the 80s and 90s. I think it was like here today, gone today. Later today or whatever. Yeah, he used to say that kind of stuff and talk about how all these blonde front men were copying him. And then he kind of stopped doing that. In early 2000s, his MO was more, I'm the greatest of all time, I'm the GOAT. The, um, his quote to me was, the Van Halen Van Halen has more hits than the Gotties or more hits than the Sopranos. Some <laughs> dumb quote about that. But he started embracing how popular he was without slagging everybody else. He's positioning himself as the godfather of rock and roll at that point in time. So I think that Sammy in his head was going, well, if I say everyone's invited, I look like the good guy. Dave doesn't respond to me. Alex doesn't respond to me. So I'll invite them. It feels weird. It feels, it feels weird to me, man, personally. Like, and I, I feel like Dave it's told weird. Him. I feel like it's really weird too, like how they went on Stern, like what last yeah. month or a month ago, and they're not touring until like what April or May, right? Yeah. I mean, I'll be honest, you know, and like I can play guitar, but I'm no Satriani or whatever. I felt like they sounded rough. I have okay. I know I am not a professional guitar player. I know I'm not a professional musician. I'm not a millionaire. I'm not. These people putting that disclaimer aside, uh, the, uh, Oh, you can't criticize unless you can do it better. They sounded terrible on Stern. I'm glad uh, you said that dude, because a lot of people like are, I don't know, you know how it is where like some people just don't get it and they're like, Oh, they sounded awesome. Or like some other people like heard it and kind of kept their mouth shut. And then some other people definitely said something. I wasn't impressed at all, to be honest with you. I'll tell you why I think they sound terrible. And I want to hear if you agree. Sure. Okay. Michael Anthony is a great singer with a tremendous range. But right. if he's mixed too high, his backing vocals are jarringly bad. Yes. If it's not mixed the right way. That's yes. one. Number two, Jason Bonham for this is playing an electronic kit. Sounds terrible. Uh, electronic drum sounds. Satriani who is a virtuoso, one of the best ever, totally. not rehearsed. That he should not have said that he'd never rehearsed. And Sammy's calling out that they haven't rehearsed. Then Sammy also had some bad notes, and he was talking about how great he is. I come from the mindset of under-promise, over-deliver. Right, right. Sammy comes from the over-promise, under-deliver, but then talk about the technicalities and how you did your best. And try to sell tequila or whatever yeah. she's selling. <laughs> tequila, rum, mezcal, canned cocktails. Oh, good Lord, it, 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 and, 
you know what's weird to me too though and i i agree with you there was weird stuff for me where like sammy and michael's vocals weren't even lining up in terms of timing wise which i thought was interesting at points where i was like you guys aren't even in in time with your with your harmony you know and then i'm hearing satch and i'm like man i'm like the tones aren't right like there's guys i can think of that you could totally put in in place of satch but i know they're going for the big name stuff i don't think bottom's the right drummer for this personally Hmm. Uh, drummer he's a great drummer but like i don't i don't know if he's the right guy for this it's it's, i think he's the least of all the problems would be we is bottom i think he's that good is he the best no but i think you have to go what do the vocals sound like and what's the context of this tour because sammy's calling this the best of all worlds and he made his his logo to kind of slight Van Halen. And he's going, I am Van Halen. Kind of like how Dave a couple of years is going, I am Van Halen. Yeah, but they're doing like Sammy tunes too. Well, here I promise I wasn't going to lead you astray. Okay, Where I'm good. going with this <laughs> is the wife and I saw Sammy in Vegas close to two years ago. And it was a close to three hour show. And he did the one, one or two mantra songs uh three to five of the 80s hits solo like your love is driving me crazy that, that kind of thing one chicken foot chicken foot song michael anthony did one or two uh dave era songs that he sang on right they did all but one of the van halen van hagar hits okay and brought out trombone shorty for two songs which were covers Okay. superstition by stevie wonder which of course you want to hear sammy sing um <laughs> but i think it's the same exact show that we saw in vegas he's taken to the road he's rebranded it why not why not do because he's you know because they put up that that instagram page right remember the other half or whatever the hell yeah. they called it right the other half or the other two yeah yeah like okay look i don't know if al will ever play again live you know right. what I mean? Um, and, uh, you know, it's kind of one of those things like you really want to play those tunes without your brother. You know what I mean? Like, I respect Al. I totally get it, right? Mm-hmm. Wolfie's smart. Wolfie's got his own career. Totally get it. They dropped the ball on doing the the Eddie Van Halen tribute thing. They really dropped the ball on that. But it's yeah. like, why not go out and do nothing but Van Hagar, right? Why not do deep cut Van Hagar stuff? Why don't you do the stuff because like when every time I saw Van Halen with Sammy, because I was too young to see him with Dave the first time, right? Mm-hmm. It was like he couldn't give a shit about singing those Dave songs right at all. Like it was like half the time he's signing bullshit. He's giving the, the, the microphone to the crowd during the Dave songs. Oh, it, yeah. It's just it was just like to me, it was like really lame. You know, it's like, and, and there was always this, well, I'm this, I'm that. I've sold so many records. We've sold so much more records with Van Hagar and shit. It's like, why don't you just do a greatest hits Van Hagar set, deep cut stuff, you know, from from the Van Hagar records, like do like a Judgment Day or do like, you know, uh, Dream is Over, like do these tunes that like don't get played much or whatever and just do that. Don't 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 make it a Sammy Hagar, you know jerk off fest like i I don't get it it makes no sense to me like i I, it makes sense to me and i could tell you the two or three obstacles as to why he's not going to do that okay first is that 
Sammy likes to say that Van Halen sold more records with him as the frontman, and that is factually inaccurate, verified by multiple sources, totally inaccurate. Right. The only way that Sammy comes close to Dave is if you're counting compilations and one-offs and covers right. and things. If so, if you go, okay, the Twister soundtrack sold, I'm making up a number. If it's sold sure. 6 million copies, well, 6 million units times two because uh, there's the human humans human being beings and, and the other two. the wind. Yeah. And then you go, well, we were on now 32. That means music. We were on that. And, and uh, right now was on this promo thing that Crystal Pepsi gave away. Okay, if you do that, Crystal Pepsi, it was the song of Crystal Pepsi. I, rem- I remember. Yeah. That's why I'm laughing. Oh but my god! If you do that stuff and Mighty Morphin Power Rangers soundtrack had Van Hagar on it, hold on, real quick. Can I interrupt yeah. you real quick? Did you hear about that? How uh, my it was the Power Rangers and one of those things. They had a little guitar solo thing. And it was the, the guy played it on keyboard and Eddie Van Halen was telling the guy, hey, man, you got to teach that to me on guitar. My kid yeah. wants my kid wants me to learn it. And then Ed wound up getting him employed for different things. And he's oh. a big or otherwise. Oh, I didn't know that. Cool. Cool. So continue. Sorry. I think his band was called Fisher or something like that. I'd have to look it up. But it was that Valerie Bertinelli and Eddie were fans and helped yeah. them out. And there's all these stories about Eddie helping people that don't go super wide like him just cutting a blank check pretty much to mitch malloy out of appreciation for him a few years back oh, wow. and eddie putting together a band of some of his roadies that he was going to produce and of course eddie looking the other way for sammy fulfilling that geffen record which he produced and played bass on there's yeah. so many eddie helping out people jason becker yeah him appearing at different benefit shows that one where he's up there with brian setzer the Paul Simon thing, yet you go, how many Dave appearances? I think he came on stage with Rat once and Motley Crue twice, and that was it. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, the Allison Chains stuff, I love that story where Allison Chains, I think Jerry was living in the basement of Susan Silver's house, mm-hmm. and uh, Ed sent a bunch of cabinets and guitars yeah. to the house. That, there's that one, Ed Roll. And I think told the story of Ed walking off stage and going, here's a guitar. That's crazy, dude. <laughs> yeah. You hear all these wonderful stories about Eddie. And I hope one day all the generous things he does or did rather are documented in some way, all these good deeds, just like I hope the same happens for Dave. We hear great, great, awesome Dave stories, but they rarely come out. Yeah. Um, so continue with telling me why you don't think my idea would happen. First, um, Sammy, the one song he didn't do, I think, was Dreams, because it's too high. Right. Some of the songs were dropped down one to three steps. I, I would I'd have to have a guitar or piano in front of me to go, oh, okay, it's one step or it's two steps. Sure, but sure. you can tell some of the songs were detuned a bit. Yeah. So I don't know. He, I mean, it's not a dig at his age. It's just, I don't know, 30-year-olds who can sing that well, They didn't think they were going to be singing these tunes in their 70s either. Definitely not. So there's that angle. The other thing is the 04 Van Halen tour with Hagar. It was a Polestar top 10 uh, tour based on ticket sales. But I was working for this management company at the time that told me like, hey, a bunch of 
our Klein shows are getting canceled because Live Nation is taking such a bath on these Van Halen Hagar shows. Interesting. So in other words, they were paying Van Halen too much. And I think they overestimated how many tickets they could do with Hagar. The first Raw tour did really great, but the attendance wasn't going up on the second and third Raw Did you go to the first one? I did not, unfortunately, ever get to see Dave with Van Halen. Only Dave Solo. I tell you right now, man, I I went and Dave sounded great. And and it was really funny because Ed did not play up to his potential and it made me sad. 07 tour? Yeah, it was probably early 08. Yeah, it was probably early. Yeah, so the 07, 08, behind the scenes... I'm saying allegedly, I think people documented it, but Ed was not over all of his problems. And uh, a few people I spoke with for the book and in general said like they quit the tour, quit working with Dave because they couldn't deal with Ed at that period. Yet the the next tour, Ed was the star and Dave was less great. And then the tour after that, Ed was even better and Dave was... Even less great. That band was smoking in 15 to set for Dave. Totally. Like, like Wolfie yeah. came into his own big time. I mean, they were playing great. They were playing some really cool, rare Van Halen tracks. Yeah. Um, yeah, I saw when I saw him in 07, it was 08, early 08 in Sacramento. They they played they played some cool stuff, but it was more hit-based to a degree. Um, but Dave sounded great. And Ed was like, mm. and that's when people are like, oh, shit, on Dave's vocal abilities. I told you this story, though. I saw him. I saw Dave in like, when did they when did they do the press conference? Was that 06? 07, I thought. Okay. I probably saw Dave in 05, mm-hmm. maybe, at a casino game. Mm-hmm. And I went with my friend. My one buddy comped the tickets. We had eighth row. The next thing I know, like the security was so lax, we were right in front of the stage. And I looked at my friend and I go, dude, he's going to be back in Van Halen. I yeah. Go, this isn't, I go, this is a tour for him. He did just like Paradise and the rest were Van Halen tunes. That's what it was. Oh, okay. So that's a really good point. So one of the people I spoke with for the book was Brian Young, who was playing lead on that tour. I think yes. that still had Toshi Hikeda. Yes, on- he was playing rhythm guitar. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. With Brian Young. He came from Atomic Punks to Dave Solo. And with his work with Dave, he told me that he was becoming more disenfranchised with the gig because at first they were doing a lot of Van Halen deep cuts, which he was psyched for. And then slowly as the touring went on, more of that was coming out, more of the solo stuff was coming out. And it was just becoming basically Van Halen's greatest hits plus California Girls, just a gigolo, just like Paradise. And he wanted to play the deep cuts. He thought that there should be deep cuts. And I think Ray, the drummer, told me this. I can't remember if he did or someone told me that Ray told him this. But Ray would say to Dave, why don't we do this song and this song? And Dave would go, no one knows that. No one wants to hear that. So then you fast forward to this 2020 band in Vegas. And the drummer told me, that Dave said, what do you guys want to play? And they made the set list. And mostly Dave's like, okay, okay. No, no one wants to hear that. No one wants to hear that. No one wants to hear that. So he said no to Yankee Rose. He said people, he should only play it on, on the 4th of July. Something random like that. The song's about, about the Statue, Statue of Liberty. Liberty. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but I don't think he has a gauge for what his best songs or most loved songs are. I don't disagree with you because 
I mean, if you're going to see Dave, odds are 65% of the crowd's probably guitar players, right? And probably also like Van Halen fans. Fanatical people who have six album jackets tucked into the back of their pants <laughs> in case they see Dave and get him to sign it. And And the best part is, like when I went to that show, if I get to hear Out of Love again, if I get to hear, you know, I mean, there's, I mean, there's, you know, knuckle bones, right? I can think of tunes off the top of my head, like dropping a bucket. Like if I get to hear those tunes, I'm stoked. You know what I mean? And I didn't get to hear them. And I just told my friend, I go, dude, I go, he's, he's back in Van Halen. I go, this had to have been an audition show, like where he's ramping up to get his voice ready. Because the other thing I noticed about that show that was interesting was he sang, he didn't mess around a lot. Like he really sang. And I was like, there's something. And I think about a year or two later is when they did the uh, announcement. And I would tell my yeah. buddy, I go, see, I told you, you know, we were laughing about it. Um, but he sounded great on that first tour, man. It's such a bummer you didn't get to see um, that first one. You know what I mean? Um, Thankfully, YouTube has preserved that. They're still holding hope out. I know that they did record some of the, the reunion shows. There was supposedly, and I don't think I put this in the book, I know they recorded professionally a Madison Square Garden show that might yes. have been 2012. And I'd assume for for insurance purposes that they recorded everything in case there was an incident. Right. Then you have to assume these are professional sound people who are presumably Van Halen diehards. Note, how much more work is it to just hit record on your laptop when you have everything going through it? I can think of lesser tours and lesser artists where they have every single show recorded from that tour because they thought, okay, we might do a live album. Pearl Jam. Yeah, exactly. Pearl per Jam. Perfect per example, Grateful Dead, Fish. I mean, perfect examples of that type of stuff. What, you, let me ask you this. I'm curious about this one. Um, you ever think we're going to see the Billy Sheen Pro Shot video that Billy Sheen has? Or why not if you know? I think we eventually will, but it won't be through the correct channels that we see it. Okay. I'm okay Kind with of that. like this Donnington 84 thing just came out of absolutely yeah. nowhere. Wasn't that cool too? Like the different camera angle shots and the, yeah, that was amazing. Um, I'd like to see Donnington 88 when he played oh, with Kiss yeah. and Iron Maiden and I think Guns N' Roses was on that, you know? Um, yeah. You have to think that there's stuff pro shot recorded that, you know what I mean? And we're just not getting it, which I, which I think is a shame. With, with maybe it doesn't sell. Doubt, without a doubt, that's pro shot. Because uh, Wikipedia, which is obviously not the end all be all, sure. but Wikipedia says that the Lakeland, Florida show, last time I checked, that was pro shot for potential live release. Then we see... 88 the skyscraper tour we know that japan was fully pro shot hence yeah. that tv special yeah with 91 i don't know about that one for sure i don't know about your filthy little mouth we do know that the hartford show on the salmon day tour, uh, tour was professionally shot hence it's still on youtube you could watch it It has random cutouts to no holds barbecue okay. so i know it was professionally done so I know all this stuff was done. It's just, why does Dave hold it back? Why doesn't he try to monetize things he spent money on? That's another mystery we'll never get to the bottom of. Who was your favorite person to interview for the book? 
Hmm. One of my favorite people was a person under an NDA that I can't say, but he just basically goes, yeah, ask me anything. I'll give you the whole sequence of events that happened. <laughs> how, much kid, how much of a kid in the candy store were you to get that info, but knowing that you couldn't really totally share it? Oh, big time. I, I'm, the, I'm not the world's best secret keeper. I'll, I'll admit that. I've kept secrets on who some of these people are. And unless um, Dave sues me, which then I think would boost the sales of the book, but oh, well, I don't want that to happen. But Right, right. <laughs> I definitely don't want to go to court, but I, I would have given Dave free reign to edit the book. I, I sent it to his management where I said the first time, you know, creative control if Dave will participate, no response. Okay. And then I said, uh, by the way, still writing this. If Dave wants to read it to be able to say, this is not true and this is not true. And we denote that in the book. No response. Okay. Everything, no response. Different handlers, different people, no response. So when you're in that kind of position, you have to, within legal rights, go, okay, well, I'm going to look at public records, talk to everybody I can, see what the story is. So when it came to- You think he's going to read it? Oh, yeah, for, for sure. You think he's going to read it? I, I've been saying the name of his manager in interviews, which I'm sure she's- thrilled about but um i i just don't understand when your whole brand and your mo is putting smiles on people's faces about then how you become so inaccessible i understand yeah. if you're bummed out you don't want to be in the spotlight but for years at a time i don't get it let me ask you this question you'll get this question some people will get this question if they listen to the dlr podcast which they should by the way Thank hi, you. hi, Steve. Hopefully you listened to the episode. <laughs> Thanks for all you do for me in terms of getting me interviews for books. Gotta um, love Steve Roth, yes. Dude, he's the greatest guy. Like super, nice guy. super cool guy. Did you find closure from getting that information from people where a lot of times you talk about in the, the, the podcast, like, man, I just wish I knew this, this timeline or I just wish I knew this or that. Did you get closure from that? Not the book? at all. I end this book with more questions than I started with. No shit. <laughs> yeah, because you, when you find out about all these abandoned, unfinished projects, when you find out that this person who is in the room says this, but then this anonymous person on YouTube tells you you're wrong because of this, and you go, but who are you? And you don't figure that out. Yeah. At the same time, you have the deep throat Dave whisperer that was on the Dave and Dave Unchained podcast, and some of that contradicts other stuff I've heard. How much do you think that silent. stuff was true? The, the 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 Dave and Dave Unchained deep throat guy girl. So so they told me last night that the person that I keep saying is who the person is. They told me I'm wrong. Okay. I'm holding my ground. So you think you're right for sure? Then I don't want to say for sure, but they said that this is the problem I have with all of it. They gave away accidentally by saying and the person doesn't want their gender to be known so then you go so it is a female, female right. yeah because how many females would there be well we know it's not his manager whose name i won't say on this episode of the right. podcast right and then you go okay so is it one of two dave's sisters a uh, one of the two sisters has done a lot of interviews to promote her personal um businesses 
okay. over the years, Lisa Roth. And she doesn't put it out there that she's Dave's sister. It just happens to come up. When I interviewed her, which I have some of in the book, I didn't yeah. pump her for any Dave questions. But she said in a thing like, and one time my brother, blah, 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 blah. They didn't say, and my brother, Diamond David Lee Roth of Van Hill. No, she just <laughs> said, and one time my brother, right. blank. I did not ask her one question about Dave. Interesting. The other sister has some credits on IMDb, which you can see doesn't do interviews. I think it is the other sister because these things that are said show empathy. Mm -hmm. They reflect somebody who's known Dave's business for over 40 years. They reflect family knowledge. So if it's not her, what female cousin is there in the family? Right. Yeah, I don't. I don't think you're wrong in that sense because if if you get the empathy part and we're talking about NDAs and people cut getting people cut out of his life for just crazy weird shit, like it'd have to be a family member, wouldn't it? And then the other overlap, I think you and I talked about this offline. One of their things was they said, and Dave is a great piano player, especially in the 1940s style. You're a musician. You and I have talked offline about who's a great guitar player and who's not. Dave, I'm sure, is a competent um, triads in the right hand, single bass note in the left hand kind of piano player. But Dave is not an excellent piano player. So the person who says that has to not be a musician. Right. Just like just like Dave is a really good open tuning guitar player. And a lot yes. of people don't understand the difference between open tuning and standard tuned guitars if they're not guitar players. You know what I mean? Yes. So, he, so so like Dave played Dave played the rhythm guitar in Could This Be Magic? I believe it. Ed played the slide. Dave played the intro to Ice Cream Man. Yeah. Um, so like that type of stuff is Dave, right? But I don't think Dave is a six-string standard tuning type of player even though he's been taking lessons and things like that i don't think you know what i'm saying you know there could have been some stuff dave played on all of the tracks other stuff we could talk about for hours where it's like when were they recorded who recorded them like you know like why are you releasing one out of nowhere and then not releasing anything and then like i always laugh i always think about you guys where i'm like well yeah i'm like what's a new pod coming out so i don't really have anything to talk about i'm like yeah you just jinx yourself and then like a day <laughs> later, just something pops up and you're, I'm just laughing. I'm like, uh, there's something for uh, Darren and Steve. You know? Yeah, if there's if there's no news, then for next week, I, I have somebody that we can have on who might tell some stories that we don't know about Dave stuff that happened in the 80s and 90s, which fingers crossed that one is going to happen. I'm waiting on availabilities. So there's always the hope of unreleased or archival kind of things. But with the guitar, being a big nerd for the stuff. One of the things I love is whenever he's playing Ice Cream Man and I I look at his hands to go, is he really playing it? Because right before the electric part kicks in, sometimes his hands don't fully match what you're seeing. Interesting. So that makes you think, was Ed playing an acoustic filter on no. like in the no. dark? No, especially not in that time period. No, definitely not. Definitely hmm. not, because you didn't have piezos that would sound like that back then. Like if we're talking, if we're talking seventy-eight to like eighty-four, you don't have that. Um, definitely okay, not. Well, let me 
explain where more I'm coming from. Sure. There was, this, I think it was Woodstock 99 performance of Alanis Morissette. Okay. Where um, she had the kind of thing when you first start playing guitar, you want to tell everyone in the world that you play guitar, but you're terrible and your yes. strumming is absolutely uncoordinated. Yes. And so you see Alanis before she could really play guitar. Yeah. Going, yeah, I'm going to play Woodstock 99 in front of hundreds of thousands of people. And it looks terrible. Dave in some of the ice cream man stuff, when you watch in the eighties, he's not playing in a coordinated way, even though we know there's that angel eyes demo where supposedly uh-huh. he's solo. So I think your point about the open tuning, if he figures out the, the trick, he sounds great, but I don't think he's much of a guitar player. Steve Roth tells me I'm wrong because Eddie says in this one interview that stay frosty. He played the intro and he's great. Definitely plays. Definitely put the intro and stay, fro- stay frosty because it has that ice cream vibe. You can tell when someone plays in open tunings, and it seems like a lot of the open tuning. I can't tell you could this be magic? What key it's in? Because I've never learned it. But stay frosty and ice cream man are both an E or E flat, right? Yeah. Um, open E or E flat. So he yeah, I think stay both. frosty is like a D tune open tuning kind of. Yeah, you know what I mean. So so. Yeah. So when you think about that, like the thing is with open tunings, there's patterns. So you learn the pattern and there's a lot of droning with the open strings. That's why you play in an open tuning because it opens up the possibilities of playing different stuff on the guitar. So a lot of times if he's playing certain things, see, you got me curious. You want to do me a favor um, sometime in the next couple of days? Send me an email of something where you don't think he's playing. If you if you have well, like video, I'm, I'm not saying all. that he can't play. No, 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 no. I'm saying, but like I, I'm, live because I'm, I'm the, curious now. The way that we see that Van Halen had an offstage keyboardist for some of the tours, I wouldn't be surprised if there was extra trickery because when he does the Ice Cream Man spot, he's the only spotlight because everyone right. else is in the dark. So, oh, do you, so what you're trying to say is you think someone's playing another acoustic backstage or side stage? And playing I, I can thing? only the conspiracy theorist in me can only guess that the way that um the way that Vince Neal plays the guitar on same old situation, which is in drop D there. I watched this one Van hand, uh, this one Motley Crue DVD from five or six years ago, or maybe it was more. And it's the one they did in Grand Rapids, Michigan. That was a TV special and a DVD. And they did this slow-mo shot of Vince Neil down, like just doing a downstroke. And it was the most vibrations I've ever seen in a guitar string ever, which tells me he's not plugged in. It was just like, here's your prop guitar, Mr. Neil. Oh, yeah, you're picking the wrong band because I saw them. I always love telling the story. I saw them in 2013 at a Vegas residency. Mm-hmm. And my my buddy was a high roller. He got me third row, right? Which the craziest thing I can tell you about that story is that pyro close up is ridiculously hot. Yes. I've never realized how hot it was until you like, I mean, Tommy Lee's piano's on fire during, you know, whatever. So I'm watching the show and I'm laughing the whole time because they had the, do you remember the 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 mic that would go down that Nikki Six had, like it just hung from the ceiling. Yes. Yeah. The mic's moving. And yeah. he's not singing like he's singing, but like the mic's over here and he's singing. I'm like, 
and there's no fluctuation in the Next volume. Next, you're going to tell me that most of Wild Side has been pre-recorded the last 35 years. Absolutely, absolutely. Mick Mars. Here's the other thing: there's always a second guitar part going on. Now, I don't think yeah. that's happening with with the John Five stuff, um, but there was always a second guitar player. Like, like, there's so much. I heard there's fucking pre-recorded drums on that shit. Yes, uh, I think that's part of the Mick Mars lawsuit. Which is insane because Tommy Lee's a great drummer, so it's like he doesn't like he needs to. One of the most musical and best drummers ever, Tommy Lee. He can play anything. Yet, why is it all to track? Is it because it's pyro cues and lighting cues and the choreography of the dancers? You know, it, it could be. And and because I can tell you right now, I really don't think Nikki Six was playing bass either. To to be really honest with you, I think a lot of that show was canned, man. And and it just mm -hmm. like the more I thought about it, because I could hear the second guitar, and mm -hmm. I was like, oh wait a second, why is there a second guitar here? And it could have been somebody playing behind stage, but I don't think so. You know what I mean? I I, I don't know. I th we've learned over time that Robert Mason, who's in Warrant, was Ozzy's offstage hidden vocalist. How that, weird is I that story? that's awesome and then sharon osborne shamed him for revealing that you know why would you talk about something for 20 years ago there was um you talked about the 88 kiss monsters of rock david lee roth there's a great moment if you watch it on youtube where they accidentally show the side stage keyboardist or the hidden keyboardist for oh, kiss oh yeah 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 i think um dave had brett tuckle playing off stage for half of the Eat him and smile tour or something like that. Interesting. Yeah, well, keyboards were so shunned in that time period in rock. If you really think about it, unless you were like Journey or something like that, like yeah. they didn't want to admit they had a keyboard player. You know yeah. what I mean? Or like the keyboard player. When I saw Ozzy years ago, um, it was Wakeman's kid. Yeah, who and is he, filling in this this week for I think Deep Purple. Oh, nice. Well, he plays guitar too. Yeah, so when, I, when I saw the Ozzy show, he's playing rhythm guitar. See, and I thought that was so smart. Because it's like if you watch the early Aussie videos with what Don Airy and uh, I can't think of the Lindsay. Carmine, I think. No, 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 no. The keyboard player. So like, so Don Airy. Oh, yeah. Lindsay, Don Airy. Yeah. Lindsay. I can't remember his name. Um, and they show them and they're in like the castle, you know, and he's playing the keyboards. And I thought it was so corny to have the keyboards in Crazy Train and tunes that didn't have keyboards. And, and I thought to myself when I saw the show with Wakeman's Kid. I was like, how rad is it that he's playing rhythm guitar in Crazy Train? And he's not playing keyboards. He's only playing keyboards on the songs. that. I, and I was like, super smart utility player. Like, that's yeah. that's what and, should have been done. You know what I mean? Dave had that with Brett Tuggle, where you had a great guitarist and a great keyboardist. Most people don't realize that Tuggle is a great guitar player, I had too. no idea. I had, yeah. I, like, Billy Sheen's a great guitar player. I didn't even know that. Oh yeah, everyone was was like a five tool player to use that baseball term in that Roth band, but didn't necessarily get to show it off. Which is a shame because I think that would have made that band so much better. Um, dude, amazing conversation as always. I mean, we can talk forever. I didn't ask you any of the questions I had basically on my on my on my outline because I knew I wasn't going to. I knew we were just going to have fun talking about stuff and talking about the book. Congratulations. The book Thank comes you. out January 1st, which I think is bizarre that's coming out on the 1st and I think it ships on by the 3rd if you order it. Um tell the people where they can get the book because I know it's going to be a great one. I can't wait to get mine. Where can they get it? 
Well, thank you. Actually, it, while it is the first on Amazon, Walmart, Target, et cetera, uh, this just in as of yesterday, Van Halen store, Van Halen news desk, you can order it and get it earlier. Wonderful. Just announced kind of thing that Jeff Hausman made happen. So if Excellent. this is posted early and anyone rushes, you'll have it even before the Amazon folks. So kudos to Jeff and Eric and the Van Halen News S team for that. But me personally, yes, this book is done. Um, but I host the Paltrowcast with Darren Paltrowitz on 150 plus stations regularly in OTT carriers like Byron Allen's Local Now and 30A, Troptotions, and then we got the the DLR cast once or twice a month. Steve and I might be launching another podcast soon. Oh, cool. Um, I'll, I'll let him decide when it's time to announce that and what the details are, but just go to paltrocast.com and you'll just see way too much of me. You want to give him a quick, uh, and I'll put it in the show notes anyway, but you want to spell out your last name for people real quick? It's like Gwyneth Paltrow with the it's at the end, so P-A-L-T-R-O-W-I-T-Z. And most of the things I do are the Paltrow blank. So our unboxing series, me and my wife, Melissa, is the Paltrow box. The Paltrow cast is the show. Um, look we'll, at you, we'll look at you branding yourself. With. <laughs> I love I mean, it. Uncle Gene Simmons taught us well, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> he also taught us what not to do, like the money bag, the money bag hat and the, the kiss coffin. And the, uh, dude, OK, before I let you go, dude, I got to get your opinion on this. Yeah. Uh, what is the deal with the avatars? I think it's smart. I think that Kiss really? stopped trying to please the diehard fans and right. is just trying to be like the Simpsons or Star Wars or any long-lasting legacy. And I think that Kiss is positioning itself to make us think that songs that were not hit songs were hit songs. Because wow. by that I mean, we now think that Love Gun was a hit song but it was not a hit song. Right, we think right. Detroit Rock City was a hit. It was not a hit. Interesting. So uh, Kiss has outsmarted all of us, and us self-loathing fans will continue to support it. Okay. Gene Simmons is full of shit, though, saying they put $200 million into this, right? <laughs> it is never Gene's own money that goes into it. It could be equivalent of $200 million value, it's possible because the ABBA, I think they said, was $150 million wow. that went into that. But who knows what things really cost? Like, let's say KISS is using the KISS warehouse and the KISS own stage and the KISS own this and the KISS own that. Right. They're paying that money to themselves and that money to themselves. Right. So no money really changed Changes hands. hands, right. Yeah. I don't. I don't know. I just think that they got out before it got too sad. Right. I don't agree with any of Ace Frehley's criticism of Kiss. I think okay. that it is largely unwarranted. I don't agree with Peter Chris's criticism of Kiss. Right. I don't think that they were excluded from these farewell shows. I think that they just turned down whatever they were offered because they thought they could get more money. See, I agree with you on that. And it's kind of funny, too, because... In the old days, when someone invites you up to play a song or something like that, you never expected money. No, like I saw, I saw uh, Ace Freely play with Skid Row. Wow, in, in New Jersey, uh, Pantera was the opener, and it was in the Meadowlands parking lot. And uh, my seventeen-year-old brain lost its mind when when he came out and played Cold Gin. I was like, "This is the fucking coolest thing ever." 
And I, I and I and I didn't think like, oh, they must have had to pay Ace Freely to do that. Maybe they did. I don't know. But like yeah, I would want to think that like David Lee Roth, like you don't think David Lee Roth got paid to play with the Foo Fighters that one show, do you? I do not. Right? You know what I mean? So like if they invited them to play a couple songs on the last the last ever show, like why would they have to pay them? Like for me, it would be like, yeah, let's end this the way we started. Play a couple songs. Even though, do you think it's more of a bitter thing? Like they just, just didn't. Because I mean, I, I mean, I love Ace. I do, but his technique and his it's not there anymore. I mean, it's it's. I watched him play was it Eddie Trunks thing. Yeah. Ooh, I not good. I think in small doses you go, yeah, Ace is the coolest guy. He's the coolest. And then that expression, give him enough rope and he'll hang himself. Yeah. You know, that last Eddie Trunk interview with Ace where Ace didn't know the names of people who played and or wrote on his record That's was scary. such a bad look. And, and then that same interview is talking about how pathetic Kiss is because this video of their Indianapolis show only had this many views and his new music video had this many more views. And he go, what are you talking about? One fan shot video <laughs> has less views than your official music video, which got a full press release push. Right. Now are we supposed to add up every single Indianapolis fan film video and now show it has 25 million views? It, it doesn't it makes no sense to me. And it's sad because I absolutely fell in love with that band as a kid. And yeah, uh, yeah just I was way team ace until a little before the pandemic, I saw him open up for Rat in Westchester, you know, okay. five miles from where he grew up in the Bronx. Yeah. And he didn't talk to the crowd. Well, he said he said one bad joke. Right. He didn't move. It was just a very lazy performance. So for him to mock Gene and Paul for being lazy and you go, Paul, whether or not he has vocal assistance, is flying over the crowd. He's mm -hmm. going on the platform. Mm -hmm. Gene is going on his platform. They're playing. They're giving the crowd their money's worth. For you to say that's the wrong thing to do, come see me in a club. You go, what? Yeah, come see me in a club, stand still, and not do anything. Yeah. yeah. With, with all of my backing band doing the heavy lifting, because Ace's backing band's incredible. Yes. He got I, from Gene. I agree. I absolutely agree with you 100% on that. Yeah. My friend, I can't wait to read the book. I'm really excited for you, dude. Congratulations on on it and i'm glad so many people are helping you out with it too man i'm glad the van halen new desk news desk is coming through and um can it be and bought anywhere in in physical places too like uh i don't know if people even buy books anymore but like barnes and yeah. nobles or anything like that can you get it there or no roman and littlefield which oversees backbeat books which is putting this out uh, which is part of the national book network is pretty thorough and i know overseas it's going into stores i just don't have the the list of that Worst case scenario, you can't find it in your bookstore, go on Van Halen News, go on Amazon, Target, Walmart, et cetera. They'll get it to you. That's awesome, man. Um, anything else you want to add before I let you go, my brother? Uh, no. Eric, you're good. Thank you for anyone who braved this much uh, listening. <laughs> and Eric, keep up the great work and looking forward to more episodes of Mixtapes and your great show. Thanks, man. I super appreciate you giving me all this time today, man. It was always a pleasure talking to you. Likewise. Take care, my friend.